The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> All right, we are live again from the Wisconsin Sports Heroics and Wisco Fanatics Facebook pages and the Wisco Fanatics YouTube page, and we got a lot going on today. We're going to be talking about the Packers, we're going to be talking about MMA and boxing, and we're going to be talking about the Brewers. Um, Excited to welcome back some guests today. Um, Getting into our second season of the Packers during the Wisco Fanatics show, so we are excited to welcome back Josh, our Packer expert. Josh, how are you doing? It's been a while. Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's it's good to be on here. It's good to have football season back in the swing, swing of things, and uh, it's it's great. I'm I'm really excited for this season. I'm interested to see what happens. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes this year. I think, in particular, compared to past years, and um, it's going to be fun. That's for sure. All right, so we are going to break down. We're each going to go with three players on offense and three players on defense to watch during these last two preseason games tim what's up welcome back again um three players on offense three players on defense to watch during these last two preseason games only three preseason games this year with the 17th game being added to the regular season so that being said um why don't we start with you guys want to start with offense or defense offense all right so we're going to start with offense you're so enthusiastic (laughs) I'll let you give your first offensive player to watch during the preseason. I'll let you go first. First of all, hello, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday. My first offensive player to watch, I think it should be everybody's first. I think it's on everybody's mind. It's been the story for the last two years. 100% is Jordan Love. Uh, You know, all the drama, all the backstory behind it. I mean, Rodgers just came out with a quote. I don't remember if it was today or yesterday, but he talks about how he was 50-50 on retiring. So you've got to find out if investing, you know, and trading up in the first round for this quarterback is worth it. The first player to watch, in my opinion, is Jordan Love. All right. Did uh, Tyler freeze up there? I think he did. Um, Josh, why don't you give me your first player to watch then? Uh, I mean, I can't even. I'm just going to say the words out in route. It has to be Jordan Love for sure. For sure. I mean, he's the future, right? Yeah, I had Jordan Love for my number one as well. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, let's uh, – Josh, I'll let you give your number two, and then I'll go I'll go first for my last one. Okay. Uh, my number two, you know, most draft picks are, are seen as the future, of course, just like Jordan Love was. There's one draft pick in particular that is currently uh, – I asked a couple of them uh, from this past draft, actually, uh, that are the present – uh, my number two is Josh Myers. Josh Myers, rookie center out of Ohio State, replacing the gr- the great Corey Lindsley, uh, who left for the Los Angeles Chargers. He is the Packers center. They don't really have a backup option. And uh, if he uh, shows up this year and, and you know has a phenomenal rookie season, I think the Packers will do great. A lot on the offense is obviously uh, weighing on his shoulders. And as long as Josh Myers does well, I think the Packers offense, they're going to do great things. Uh, but it starts with Josh Myers watching him in the preseason. 
A, in Aaron Rodgers' post, post-practice uh, press conference with the Jets today, he literally said, uh, Josh Myers didn't have a great practice today. He wasn't as mentally sharp. Uh, he saw some new things with that Jets defensive line and has to get those cleaned up. Otherwise, you know, might have some issues in the in the regular season. And, and, and Aaron said, I'm paraphrasing here, but Josh Myers has to think as fast as I think. Uh, and, and that starts in the preseason. And he has to translate that, not only catch up to speed, but translate that into the regular season. So that's number two to watch. Yeah. Uh, Tyler and I actually went to the first practice this year. And the there. first snap between Rodgers and Myers was a fumble. Saw that. I was like, well, if anybody's going to get this guy in shape, it's going to be a veteran. It's going to be an Aaron Rodgers. Yep. You know, he's always the smartest guy in the room, like we always say. So he'll get him. He'll get him in shape. But I, I definitely think that was a very good pick. My number two. Now, this one might be a little bit of a forgotten guy. People might have written him off already. But to me, it's Jay Sternberger, another guy to watch. Um, tight end room is getting pretty crowded. I mean, we got we got Tunyon, we got Big Dog, we got Deguara coming back off the ACL, and we have Dominic Daphne, who's you know who looked pretty good at the end of the season there. So if Jace is gonna find a spot, he's really gonna have to impress in preseason and in his blocking and really show that he can make a difference. I mean, he made a really nice catch uh, in that first preseason game from Love right up the middle of the field, but. Other than that, we haven't really seen much from Jay Sternberger other than a couple practice highlights. So Jay Sternberger is really going to have to carve out a spot here because after you hear my number three, that's another crowded position group. Tyler, what's your what's your number one and number two? Give us your first two real quick. Uh, well, my number one was Jordan Love also, just to we finally get to see him play. Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty much, like you said, a no-brainer that everybody should be having their eyes on. Um, mm-hmm. My number two is Kylan Hill. Um he really slid down in the draft. He was viewed as a, a steal in the draft because of some of the stuff that he had going on, um, some issues with his coaches in college and stuff. So he really slid down that draft. And, you know, what I've seen from from camp so far is that he's doing really well. Um, what we saw from him um, when Jake and I went to the practice, um, he looks good. He looks fast. So for me, what I'm looking for from Kylan Hill is potential special teams contributions and to see if he could possibly challenge Dexter Williams for that running back three role, um, ultimately um, to slide in third on that running back depth chart, um, even though Dexter Williams has been a guy that the Packers have been a fan of um, in years past. But um, I said we'll kick it back to Josh. We'll give let you give your third one if you haven't done that already. Nope. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that Mel Fleur does that Mike different from Mike McCarthy is he really, you know, he subs guys in and out constantly. He uses a lot of his players. Uh, back in the day, Mike McCarthy would openly say, you know, with Eddie Lacy, we want to get him 20 snaps a game, 25 snaps a game, uh, put him on a snap count, and then maybe we'll use that number two running back uh, for strictly uh, running purposes. Uh, Matt LaFleur, different, different approach. Uh, he shuffles guys in and out according to their strengths. That's just his style. Uh, and my point being is Matt LaFleur is going to use that running back three spot. He's going to use that third guy. That third guy will play. It's not like this is for depth chart purposes. That third guy is going to play. He will play. Uh, and for me, that's Kylan Hill. He separated himself in the first preseason game. We'll see what happens in, in games two and three, uh, just like Tyler said. So it's going to be interesting to see how these uh, next two games, maybe let's see if Patrick Taylor and, and Dexter Williams throw themselves back in the mix. But for now, it's Kylan Hill. It's looking like Kylan Hill. Um, and going forward, that's something we all should watch for. 
Jake, who's your last guy? All right, so I had a really, really hard time. And Josh, be aware, I'm going to have a couple questions for you because you are the backup <laughs> expert. So I have I have prepared some stuff for you. Um, All right. So for me, it's a position group. It's a battle at wide receiver. So we have six who you can debate to your blue in the face, but these six are staying no matter what. Adams, MVS, Funches, Cobb, Lazard, and Amari Rogers, who we spent the third round pick on. Those guys are all staying. So fighting for one spot, if the Packers decide to keep seven wide receivers, is EQ, who he, he's shown flashes. He's a big, big guy. I mean, he's he's made he's made a couple of nice plays. I mean, Malik Taylor, we've had him around for how many years now? Has never panned out. Begleton's been here. Jawan Winfrey and Chris Blair. You got those five guys fighting for one potential spot if they choose to use it. And that's also why I brought up Sternberger because we already have four tight ends. Are we going to keep a fifth tight end? Are we going to keep seven wide receivers? I don't know what's going to happen. A lot of interesting stuff. When we get to defense, there's a couple positions where it seems to be a little crowded as well because we're still kind of looking for the guy at some positions. But, you know, better wide receiver, it's going to be interesting. If I had to pick one of those guys, it would obviously be EQ. He's the only guy with upside, you know, in that situation with size. But we'll see what happens. He, he's, he seems to always be injured, and you know how Tyler and I feel about injuries. You know, health is a skill, and if you're not going to make sure that you're always healthy and working out, like how do you always end up hurt? How does somebody always end up hurt? Are you really just that unlucky? <laughs> I don't believe it. All right. So my number three guy is the second-round pick is Josh Myers. He's the last guy I'm keeping an eye on um, just because – the Packers let Corey Lindsay walk and they walked into, you know, into the draft and into training camp with a lot of question marks on the offensive line, including the health of David Bakhtiari. So mm-hmm. what I'm looking for from Josh Myers is to see if he continues to to perform well, if he can win that starting center job as a rookie. Um, I've heard Rodgers say some good things about him and I've seen, you know, some good reports about him. But still, to go from being a rookie, even though he's from Ohio State, which is a usually a pro-ready program, um, yes. to come into a starting center role for the Green Bay Packers, who were in the NFC Championship game last year, um, and to step into a role like that with Aaron Rodgers right behind you is a big deal. So I'm looking for Josh Myers to see if he can continue to perform well at that center position and uh, to see if he can win that center job over, I would think it would be probably Lucas Patrick would be the other um, no, contestant there. Lucas Patrick right now, actually. <laughs> Absolutely perfect transition. The other center we have, we drafted last year with Jake Hansen out of Oregon. So that's the guy I believe he's fighting with okay. for that center spot. So this is why I said perfect transition. Heard a lot of good things. We saw him play last year. John Runyon. This is one of my questions, Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, with Bakhtiari being questioned with health, he's uh, Runyon's gotten work at left guard. He's got he he's listed as a right guard. He's played right tackle. Yeah. How do you feel about a guy like John Runyon? Honestly, uh, he came in actually week one of last season uh, when I believe Lane Taylor went down. It was I don't it was a double biceps injury? I think. Yeah, something, something like that. Like that yeah. So yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, I think Lane's. He I don't know where he went now. The Texans maybe. Nah, um, he's not on my team, so I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, we're gonna miss his barbecue and go that. But besides the point, uh, yeah, no, it's John Ronnie Jr. Uh, he he's gonna play. I think. Um, I think it, see, it. 
it's all when David Bakhtiari comes back. You know, that's the big formula. Whenever he comes back, everything snaps into place. Elton Jenkin goes back to left guard. Myers, uh, you have Billy Turner, obviously, and then maybe Lucas Pack- Patrick there. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, there's so many guys in the mix. I, d- I don't even want to say it's going to be a definitive starter. Uh, and I don't even know if the Packers know week one who it'll be, and I'm serious about that in terms yeah, of, I know. of who's gonna, who's going to be in there. I think it's going to be start week one with the guy you think you're confident in, and if he doesn't, you know, play to that standard, you're going to throw somebody else in there. So I think it's kind of a fluid situation. But I'm actually looking at the Packers depth chart right now. Um, it's going to be Elton Jenkins left guard, or sorry, left tackle. Uh, left left guard is probably going to be John Runyon, and then it's going to be Josh Myers center. Lucas Patrick, probably right guard, or Ben Braden, and then right tackle is going to be Billy Turner. But don't forget about Dennis Kelly, that that veteran. That the Dennis Kelly, running. yep. So the Packers yep. have tons of depth right now, which is which is awesome. But you know you can have all the depth you want, but if if your starting five can't play well together, especially with with the snap count and Aaron Rodgers and things, uh, that then it gets tricky. Yeah, you got to you got to find that right formula. We, offensive line is very interesting with all the draft picks the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's two of my questions and they involve special teams because you are on top of being the Packers, you know, expert, you're the special teams expert. All right. How did you think they looked on Saturday? Terrible. Just terrible. No, um, honestly, it's, you know, I don't even know if there is, I, I did watch the game to be full disclosure. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, if it was an improvement over Sean Menenga. Again, it's preseason week one. We'll find out what happens. Um, mm-hmm. Regardless, it's, it's at least the same as it was last season. Um, and that, that can be the case. You know, you, you get into these postseason games and you really that's where everything counts. You have to play, you have to play well in all three facets of the game. Again, it's week one of the preseason. I'm not gonna throw too many big words, but right. disappointing. Disappointing would be the one word I'd say. I saw Tyler this weekend. We were hanging out and I was like, I can't wait to talk to Josh, dude. <laughs> hey, one guy, one guy who who really is um, getting after it on special teams. Um, gosh, I think it was, I think it was, uh, KB and Ento or Ennis Gaines. Um, they were double teamed. <laughs> they were double teamed on a punt on a punt. And I got away from the double team, made the tackle. I'm actually gonna have to go back and find that. I was watching it today. Yeah. That's the case. If, if that stuff happens in the regular season, that's awesome. Like we need more of yeah, that. That's, but right, that's what we're looking for. But right now it's, I'll put it this way. You can't get any worse. As long as Mason Crosby hits his field goals, we'll maybe it'll be okay. Yeah, he's 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 holding the special teams all by himself. Yeah. So now I told Tyler about this. Um, how do you feel about Hill as the kick returner and Rogers, Amari Rogers, obviously as the punt returner? You know, I think it's so far that sounds what it's going to be. How do I feel about that? It's good. I th- I like it honestly. Um, Packers haven't had much for kick return or punt return in years, really. Not even Man. since Randall Cobb, I don't think. So it's it's been a long time since the Packers have had solid special teams, which is, yeah, it is what it is. What are you going to do? You can bring in as many coordinators as you want, but until you actually produce results, it's just not going to, it's not going to be there. So Callan Hill, I think he's got the speed. He's got the explosiveness. Same thing. I mean, Amari Rogers is Randall Cobb on steroids. Um, I know he brought back Randall Cobb, whatever, but Amari is Randall Cobb on steroids. He's bigger. He's faster. He's stronger. Um, If he, oh, that could could be a lot of fun. Dude, I am so excited that, Cobb is here to show exactly, you know, to show Amari exactly what Aaron is thinking. Like he wants you in this spot at this time. Yeah. Because, you know, Cobb obviously has that history with him. So if he can get him up to speed a little bit faster, oh, oh man, 
it's about to be bad for defenses because they're going to have to worry about all this side-to-side stuff. And then they got a 260-pound Incredible Hulk coming at you. Holy shit. I pray. <laughs> so I say. Since we're talking about offense, let me just say that the guy, the type of players we have on offense are, I think, exactly to what Matt LaFleur wants. Yeah. Guy, I think Amari Rodgers, yeah. I think a perfect size for a wide receiver for Matt LaFleur, it's Amari Rodgers. Um, honestly, like you don't, we don't, I know MBS is huge and tall and say it was seven punches, but I don't think that's the kind of the style necessarily that uh, Matt LaFleur needs on his offense. Uh, and that's why it's going to be so fun. That's why I think the Packers will keep six wide receivers um, on that team. And yeah, I think it's going to be two. I know we can probably get this later, but two QBs, three running backs, five tight ends, six six wide receivers. Then, so it's going to be. You think they're going to keep five tight ends, man? That's I think a, so. I, they, I mean, they do run a lot of two tight end sets, so I can yes. see it. Yes. And, and like you said, he uses his backups, rotating everybody, keep everybody fresh. That's just it's a lot, man. Keeping five tight ends. <sighs> That's a lot. It's gonna happen. Honestly, this isn't Mike McCarthy anymore. We're not. We're not throwing the ball down the field. All right. This is uh, tight end central over here with Matt Lafleur's offense. Hey, I'm cool with it as long as they score points, baby. As good as the offense of the Packers has been, um, the really the one thing they've been missing is a locked and loaded slot receiver. That's why they've lined Devontae up in the slot at times, and now they have you know basically two true slot receivers right now. One being a guy who's had great chemistry with Rodgers who can now teach the next generation of slot receivers. And you know, Jake and I talked about this when we went to practice, was if Amari Rodgers and Jordan Love can develop the kind of chemistry that Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb have, and that transition can go in there. I mean, you know, the Packers, you can kind of start to see it forming already, the next great Packers offense, potentially. Yep. Um, you know, when, you know, if, let's say, Packers aren't able to retain Devontae and they trade Aaron Rodgers for all of the draft picks. You can you can already start to see it forming where you have Jordan Love, you have A.J. Dillon, and you have Amari Rodgers being the sort of the next guys up to take over for this Packers offense. And it's um it's exciting seeing that you know the depth that the Packers have now and um they have time to develop it because the guys they have are still good. Oh yeah. Now, before we move on to defense, let's answer Isaac's question. Do you think our run duo can make top five? What do you think, Josh? Uh, In in terms of, uh, like, yards production, like rushing yards in the top five of the league uh, for a team, oh, yeah, no question about it. It's Matt LaFleur's offense, Aaron Jones, human pinball machine, and, uh, you know, you have Quadzilla there, the human bulldozer. It's, I mean, I think A.J. Dillon's like everything that everybody wanted out of Eddie Lacy, but like leaner. And um, guy's just, he's just huge. So it's, his weight, it's actually his, in his legs, not his belly. It's, he said he put four pounds of muscle on each leg over the offseason, which is unbelievable. Why? <laughs> What's <laughs> wrong with this guy? He's going to look like a popcorn bag. He's going to be too damn big for a pop. So another reason why I think the Packers are going to keep three running or going to use all three running backs is because. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are not the same running back. They're not going to be used in the same situations. They're going to be used differently, I think. Um, and obviously, they have different strengths for a reason. But, um, I mean, that's why I think Colin Hill is going to be the dude. Uh, he's explosive. That's, that's one thing I really like. I think he's he's closer to – the thing is, is Colin Hill is, is closer to Aaron Jones and his physique, and Patrick Taylor is actually about the same build as A.J. Dillon. So, I don't know what the Packers are going to do with, with Patrick Taylor, maybe practice squad – 
but I could even my see him getting some well, yeah. snaps at some at some point in the regular season. So again, this is all speculation. We've been one game down. We'll have to see what happens against the Jets. I agree, man. Uh, before I move on to defense, I just want to throw out there that I would be okay with trading Jay Sternberger for like a fifth round pick. Yes. If we can get a fifth round right. for him, yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, so moving into defense before we start, um, I just want to throw out there the Packers traded Josh Jackson for Isaac Yadam, I believe is how it's said. Um, don't really think this makes a huge difference to the, to the defense or to the corners. Um, they were both second round picks in the same draft. So it's basically just one for one. You can try to get something out of this guy. We'll try to get something out of this guy. That being said, my number three, number one, however you want to say it, um, Josh mentioned his name already, is KB on Ento. Um, his name's coming up as far as cornerback depth is going in training camp. Um, it's really a cornerback depth is kind of one of those iffy positions for the Packers. Um, Kevin King has a really big love-hate relationship with the fan base. Um, he's on a one-year prove-it deal. I personally think Eric Stokes is going to be the um, the other starting wide, or cornerback by week five, um, even if Kevin King starts as the other cornerback opposite Jair Alexander in week one. And then you know, you're looking at basically Jair, Kevin King, Eric Stokes, and then after that it's kind of wide open. And it's you know, Shannon Sullivan is probably going to be in that mix. Yeah. And then, um, and then after that, I'm looking at KB on Ento. Um, he's been with the Packers for a couple of years now, and he's making uh, he's making some noise in training camp. So he's a guy that I'm looking for. You know, Josh already mentioned he can contribute on special teams, and um, so KB on Ento is my my number three or number one, however you want to look at it, player for defense. Jake, who's yours? How about Ento, real quick uh, during the game. On Saturday, they said that he was going to make the roster last year, and then he got hurt right before the roster cut. So that's why he was thrown out of the practice squad. So this is the guy that they've obviously liked for the last two years. Yep. Uh, my number one, number three, like Tyler said, however you want to say it, it's Eric Stokes. Um, we all know what happened in the NFC Championship game. We watched Kevin King two years ago against the 49ers. That other cornerback position has really, really been lacking outside of Jair Alexander. We all know what Ja Money, Ja Island, Ja going to get paid pretty damn soon. We all know what he can do. He knocks the ball down. You don't throw at him because it ain't going to work the way you want it to work. The other cornerback position is going to get all the work. You have a guy like Eric Stokes. We talked about it. You know, we, we moved up. Tyler and I were just like shook during draft day. I'm sure everybody else was. We were just like, who's Eric Stokes? We, we all of a sudden, everybody's diving in and doing six hours of research on Eric Stokes. Oh, he's fast. Yeah, really fast and really long. Yeah, real and fast. Really we have to find out what he is. And in practice, they've been trying because Kevin King's been kind of Ryan. banged up. They've been holding Jair Ryan's a little been bit. Testing him. They've been putting Stokes on Adams, and he's been holding up pretty yep. good. He's been getting taught a couple Roger, of lessons. Yeah, Rodgers is testing him. He's been getting taught a couple of lessons, but you're going against one of the best quarterbacks and you're going against the best wide receiver in the league. So Eric Stokes is getting – he's getting thrown right into the fire. And I actually personally believe they should just start him day one. I if agree. the first-round pick, you just got to go for it. I think he's that talented. You're already, you've already been throwing him into the fire, so you might yep. as well just go for it, right? 
I agree. I think they should start him right away too because he's yeah. he profiles more of of the way that Jair plays, more of a lockdown corner than a guy like say Xavier Howard who plays more for um, you know turnovers, interceptions, and stuff. So that um, that said, if you have two lockdown guys and you're forcing teams to either check down, which kind of plays into some of the Packers' strengths, or try to throw the deep ball, um, I think that potentially opens up a big. Uh, big potential uh, breakout year for a guy like Darnell Savage yeah. to um, to make some plays and and create some turnovers with two lockdown corners on the field at the same time. Ten picks. All right, Josh. Who's All right, Josh. One, who's your guy to watch on defense? Yeah, so my number three is going to be Vernon Scott. Uh, I watched that Ooh. that preseason game. Uh, he is a hard hitting safety. I mean, hard hitting safety, uh, and he did cover well. Uh, he did well on special teams. I just think if he can relieve maybe Adrian Amos or Darnell Savage once in a while and actually be a reliable, I guess, um, maybe like second down, third down guy, that'd be really, really helpful for this defense, get a breather, uh, and honestly just to have options. Uh, so it's going to be Vernon Scott. I really like the way he played the preseason. Um, I, I just actually rewatched that game a couple hours ago, uh, and he just kept popping up on my TV. And I'm like, like, wait a minute. Vernon Scott, like he just kept showing up to me. And uh, to me, that's just like he's a guy to watch. Um, the, the, oh my gosh, who are the Packers just play in preseason? I'm totally drawing a blank. Texans. Thank you. Texans. Thank you, yeah. Texas. I, I, no, I was trying to think of the quarterback, but uh, Deshaun Watson wasn't out there. That's what I was trying. But the, uh, the rookie quarterback from Stanford, thank you, from the Texans, kept tossing the ball at Josh Jackson. Uh, that's another observation I had. And it was, I mean, when you're targeting a guy like that in the preseason, it's evident. That uh, the team knows that he's just not good, so I could see yeah. what Josh Jackson. I read so that four plays. I read that Josh Jackson gave up eleven catches on Saturday. Oh my! Yeah, I know. Well, I, he, I believe it. He probably gave up the first ten. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so it, it, you know, hopefully gets a fresh start in New York. But anyways, Vernon Scott, he's my guy to watch. Uh, I really like what I saw in this first preseason game. Dude, Scott was laying down the law the other day. Yeah. He came in and smacked the running back right in the middle of the pile. And I thought mm-hmm. it was the lineman that came from the, the side. Also, they're like, Vernon Scott with the tackle, and he gets up and he's in his face. I'm like, you are way too little to be hitting people like that, dog. <laughs> but, Holy shit. <laughs> he played well. I agree. All right. So my second guy to watch is TJ Slatten. Um, he's the defensive tackle that we drafted from Florida. Um I think as far as defensive line goes, that's going to be it's going to be a really big um, position group of scrutiny for the Packers because it's not been a very productive um, position group for the Packers. I get that the Packers play a three-four, and you're not looking for a ton of you know production out of them, st- like statistically. But you know those three guys up there, their job is to take up blocks and stuff like that. But you also want to you want to be able to get some pressure once in a while and not just take up space. Um, that being said, looking at defensive line depth is actually going to be both of my next two guys that I bring up. But TJ Slatten is the first one I'm looking at to uh, back up Kenny Clark, who's had some injuries. Uh, I see Isaac mentioning my other guy in the comments already, bringing up Jack Heflin, who's going to be my other guy. But um, really need some uh, some defensive line depth outside of Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry, who I think is serviceable at times, and then Tyler Lancaster. So. Um, Josh, who is your second guy to watch? Yes, yeah, so my my he's still on my mouth. 
a second guy to watch it. I think it's TJ. I think it's Slate. I don't know if it's Slate in the right pronunciation. I don't know if it's Slatin or Slayton. Okay. I'll have to look it up Slayton. on YouTube and, and get back to it. It's Slayton. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so TJ Slayton um, and that 3-4 defense, you want that nose tackle to be big. He's 6'4", 330 pounds, takes up a lot of space. That's what you need. Uh, you need some confusion and some disruption uh, and some chaos, actually, out of that nose tackle position, specifically in 3-4. Again, it's week one. We're going to have to really see what Joe Barry brings to the table. Uh, in terms of this Packers team, none of us really know, uh, besides the maybe Joe Barry, what that's going to look like week one of the preseason. Uh, but I will do honorable mention of, of Jack Heflin. His hustle and his willingness to get to get away from, from I guess, as a pile, the trenches, and get after the ball was really fun to watch. We'll see if he keeps it up. But uh, definitely honorable mention for Jack there. All right, so my number two, we are going to go three for three. I have uh, to Daryl Slayton as uh, my number two player to watch. I looked up his real name. Um, tried to be fun with it. Fifth round, 173rd pick. He's a big guy, man, and we talk about depth a lot, but in my opinion, no depth is more important on a team than in the trenches, uh, especially on defense because those guys get so tired and they rotate so much. So having a big guy that can go in for Kenny – or maybe maybe we can move Kenny around. He, we could put him at a DN spot, one play or something like that. I'm not sure how they're going to use him. But Kenny's talented enough to make it work, in my opinion. But having a guy like TJ, you know, he's humongous. You know, like Josh said, he's 6'4", 330 pounds. It's almost impossible to not see him on the field. And I got two little nuggets. One, my dad always told me when I was a little kid, if you wanted to learn how big a guy is, look how small their numbers look on them. Because the more jersey they have, the smaller the numbers are. So that's number one. And did you guys know that Slayton can dunk a basketball? Yeah, I saw that. I did not. Three hundred and thirty pounds dunking a ball. That's insane. He played center in high school, and he still to this day. I read a little story on him today. He still to this day brags about his skill on the hardwood. That's awesome. Multi-talented guy. But Glenn, big baby Davis over here. Oh, God, I'm not getting in front of 330. I'm a pretty big guy, but 330 and he knows how to use it, that is scary. So, you know, to this point and, you know, which fits in with my last guy, which is Jack Heflin, um, I've seen reports that they're moving guys around on that defensive line. They were letting Tyler Lancaster get some work at nose tackle and they're moving guys around on this defensive line. So I really think that this is – you know, this is the reason why I have two defensive linemen on my list is moving guys around. And when we talked about the coordinators, Jake and I, back in February, we talked about Joe Barry wanting guys to be able to move around and play different positions. Um, and to, you know, what I mentioned was having the, the pre-snap motion that the offense does to confuse defenses, to flip that around and to, you know, have things disguised on the defensive end to be able to confuse offenses to see whether the Packers are going to be blitzing or playing zone coverage or man coverage. So being able to move guys around and not, you know, just be looking, you know, if you're a right tackle and you're saying you're looking across from Tyler Lancaster the entire game, that, you know, the next play you look up and then it's Kenny Clark in front of you. And you kind of have to, you know, deal with that and you're dealing with a different guy and, you know, arguably a, a Pro Bowl level talent in Kenny Clark as long as he's healthy. Um, so I'm really, really looking at that defensive line um, in these next two preseason games. Jake, who do you got for your last one? My last one, 
Uh, I circled one guy who looked really, really good on Saturday. And then kind of the position and hole. Um, but it's Oren Burks. He looked really good. Showed showed great ability to penetrate the hole. Um, he made a lot of tackles behind the line. He looked awesome, in my opinion. Um, but kind of just the middle linebacker position, man. We got a, we got a uh, Devondre Campbell, who's kind of been you know thrown around a little bit these last couple of years. We got Chris Barnes, who everybody agrees is a starting linebacker for us. I mean, word is that Campbell's been looking really, really good. Um, we got Kamal Martin, who people were excited for. We got Ty Summers, who nobody knows what he really is. And we have Oren Burke. So, I mean, middle linebacker has always kind of been a problem for the Packers since really Nick Barnett, who was really the last good middle linebacker the Packers have had. I can't remember the last great middle linebacker because I've never seen a great middle linebacker in, in Green Bay in my lifetime. I almost said Milwaukee right there because we talk about Milwaukee so <laughs> But Oren Burks really has to figure it out. He has a lot of speed and – if he can figure out a way to be able to cover tight ends and running backs out of the backfield with that speed, he could really, really be a big tool for us on third downs. I was just going to say, especially in passing situations. Yes. Um, I flashed the comment on there. Um, Isaac said the Packers are rumored to be bringing back Mike Daniels. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Um, I also we're bringing back Clay Matthews, so we'll see what happens. Well, uh, what I saw from that, what I saw from that was that they were all on a video chat together this weekend. Yeah. And they were all joking about that, about the Clay Matthews thing, and not actively trying to get him brought back. So, um, for anybody concerned, <laughs> the Packers are just letting yeah. Rodgers run the team yeah. and bring back That's all of his old stuff. friends. Um, that yeah. was. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. I was going to say honorable mention: um, a guy who is now converted farmer from from football player. That is Clay Matthews. Apparently, he's a farmer yep. now, according to Aaron yep. Rodgers. So, yeah, uh, what they said. Well, yeah, whatever you think Clay Matthews is farming, might be hair, we don't know. Uh, you know, fish oil that you take that, you know, strengthens your hair follicles or something. Wow. I'm not sure. Shout out to Clay Matthews. That guy uh, but... is not striking as a farmer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, Roger, yeah, Roger said he's farming like Jordy. Yeah. Wow. So whatever the case is, shout out to Clay Matthews for being, you know, picking up his true Midwestern, like a Midwestern fashion being a farmer. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so I think uh, actually honorable mentor Devondre Campbell didn't know much about the guy uh, before before the season started. Apparently, everybody loves him in Green Bay. I haven't personally paid a ton of attention to him, to be honest. Uh, but from the reports that I've read and things that I've heard, listened to, watched, uh, he's really killing it out there. So that's a, an honor, another honorable mention, I guess. But the, the first one, it's going to be Eric Stokes uh, for me. You know, he had a decent game from what I saw. Um, there was one that one pass that he gave up that Oren Burks actually ran into him and, or ran in front of him, uh, and he was wasn't necessarily able to break up the ball because you know, Oren Burks was literally standing directly in front of him. I think that was in the first half of, of the preseason game. Yeah, but four yards. Yeah, to me, to me, if if the Packers secondary, I think Tyler can already hit on this. If the Packers secondary can can really lock things down, keep everything in front of them. We don't need another Scotty Miller situation. But that is going to be a positive development. Uh, and I really think the Packers are going to look for uh, Eric Stokes to, I, I really do think he's going to be an upgrade over Kevin King. Um, I think, you know, Kevin can still play, but he's injured or something. And so we'll see what happens. But if, if the Packers can lock things down, keep everything in front of them, uh, I think that's what Joe Barry should do. And obviously the, the Packers will be a shutdown defense for sure, at least the long ball. Well, the thing with Kevin King is we do get a rematch with 
um, San Francisco in week three. So if uh, Kevin King's getting picked on with George Kittle again, um, you know, maybe we see Eric, Eric Stokes starting in week four. Yeah. If you're San Francisco and you see Kevin King on George Kittle and you do not run a crossing route, you got to shoot. Because he ran one route that entire goddamn game. And he went from this side to this side. And Kevin King was just like, I don't understand what's going on right now. Oh, my God. I was so mad at him that day, dude. Uh, All right. So, yeah, one more question about the Packers here is, what do you guys think about Kingsley Kiki? Um, Me, personally, I thought he filled in for Kenny Clark pretty well last year when Kenny was injured. Um, So, for me, he's already on the team. And he's probably going to be the primary backup to basically all three defensive line positions, but um, what do you guys think about Kingsley Kiki? Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, I was just going to say, um, during today's practice with the Jets, during practice, uh, if there was live tackling, Kingsley Kiki actually would have sacked Zach Wilson twice. So those were some reports coming on practice today. Uh, and, you know, they were doing live reps ex- except for hitting the quarterbacks, obviously. Uh, so that was a report. Uh, I did not report that, but that, that was something I saw on social media today about Kingsley Kiki. Again, good depth rotation player. I still think – I not still, but I do think T.J. Slayton will probably be the uh, better nose tackle just than Kiki just because of size. But uh, so far, so yep. good. Definitely what Tyler said, too. Yeah, he's um, on the team. What I think about Kiki is that he is our second-best defensive lineman on our team. Uh, I would probably have Lowry third and then probably Slayton or Lancaster at fourth. But Kiki showed a lot of upside last year. Um, he's a guy that can, you know, collapse the pocket. He can get in there quickly. He can tackle the running back, get after the quarterback. So I like what I see out of Kiki, man. He's been a pretty good surprise, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree with Josh, too, that he's um, – Slayton probably serves as a better backup nose tackle just because of his size. Um, but, you know, like I said, Kiki, I think he filled in admirably when uh, when Kenny Clark was hurt last year. <clears throat> so I got All right, you – I got a question. You guys – okay, go ahead, Jack. So you guys remember the NASCAR package, obviously, right, back in the day? Oh, yeah, yeah. the Julius Peppers. You know them? Yeah, we have Capers. a lot of pass rushers now, man. You guys think we should bring that back? That's – you know, I've heard rumors about that too. We got, we could put Gary – you know, we could put Kenny out there with, with, with the Smith brothers. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And if a Vernon Scott, you know, a guy like that can, can show ability to cover deep, we could even bring a Adrian Amos on a blitz with them, and mm-hmm. he's a big. He is humongous in real life, by the way. Up close, his legs are enormous. So we could bring yeah, a guy yeah, Adrian like Amos. Him. Yeah, Adrian Amos is the quad father junior. Yeah, he is. He's huge. So, what, what do you guys think bring, about that? We bring that package back. Bring back. Bring back the psycho package. Yeah. So, in terms of the NASCAR package, the Packers simply just couldn't run it the last couple of years because in order to run the NASCAR pa- package, you have to be able to defend the pass so you can blitz a lot and rotate a lot, and the Packers could not do that. Obviously, they had some issues defending the pass last year. Uh, so, I think they, if they have the ability to, sure, uh, you know what, S- send those guys, rotate them. But otherwise, I, I don't know. Well, well, I'm just a little skeptical of Joe Barry's defense, obviously, uh, so far. We'll see what happens. I'll tell you what. That guy is fired the hell up, man. <laughs> if you don't like your kids sure swearing, I'm going to tell you right now, the first words I heard that man say at practice was, you got two and a half fucking minutes. Like, get your asses over there. And I was like, oh, wow. This guy is ready to go. 
We are not fucking around. Today is not fucking around. Time. <laughs> that guy is ready to go. And that's what I want out of my defensive coordinator. You have to be intense. You have to be fierce. And you really just have to want to rip people's faces off, you know, when, when it comes down to it. And he seems like a kind of guy that can lead a pack of wolves. I'm not trying to lead dogs no more. I'm trying to lead a pack of wolves, okay? They're hungry. Let's go rip someone's face off. Especially those damn Bears fans, man. What the hell's going on with them this this year, dog? They draft one quarterback and they're ready to just, oh, we're Super Bowl. We're going to win the Super Bowl. I just, Bears fans, dude, they're, they're getting to me this year. I don't know. I don't know what it is with Bears fans. I mean, the the fact that they can, you know, say that we're going to the Super Bowl based on Justin Fields' one preseason game, but then also say that Jordan Love looked crappy in his when they had pretty similar, honestly, you know, per uh, preseason debuts. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so early. Both of them, they've both played one preseason game. I'm not really reading into either one of them a whole lot. I mean, did you see what Dalton said today? Yeah. Yeah, he said it's my time. My time. We'll have to find out if Nagy agrees with that, man. You think they're going to throw Fields in right away? Well, the first time we talked about it, I said no. Um, I, you know, I do think he'll be starting at some point during the season, but I don't think week one Justin Fields will start. No. I don't know. Yeah, starting a quarterback, like a rookie quarterback especially, it's it's kind of like a play-by-play situation. I don't think there's any right way to do it. You know, we got lucky with Aaron Rodgers, you know, sitting three years and coming in and turning into what he turned into. So we could say we know the formula, right? But there's been guys that have started, you know, their first season, a Peyton Manning and set the interception record, and then they go on to make the Hall of Fame. Or the Tom Brady way. I think if you're the guy, you're the guy. You know, at the end of the day, no matter what week you start, if I'm Chicago, I'm going to be completely honest. I absolutely hate all of Chicago sports. But I'm going to be, you know, right in the middle right now. If I'm Chicago and we have a fan base that is desperate for quarterback play, I am putting fields in week one. Because you you want to put that injection of excitement into your team, into your fan base. And if I'm them, I'm putting fields in right away. Game one, I know it's the Rams, and that is a hell of a defense to go up against week one, but he's going to have to face them at some point, right? He's going to have to face top five, top ten defenses at some point. So if I was them, I'd put in fields. You know, the one thing I still don't understand about the Bears franchise is you paid a ton of money for Nick Foles. You obviously brought in Andy Dalton, and then you draft Justin Fields. I mean, those that Brian Pace and Matt Nagy are so quarterback insecure that they they just – they made all these transactions, tossed all this money at the wall, and all of a sudden they're sitting with a guy who's went to the Super Bowl. They're sitting with Andy Dalton, who actually kicked some major butt in, in Cincinnati in the regular season. And then you take a rookie, like very promising quarterback. And I get it, but trade it up. Right, exactly. What, what are you doing here? Who's going to be your starter? Clearly, there's going to be at least two extremely unhappy quarterbacks down in Chicago. I mean, what if. You start, you start with Justin Fields, and he's terrible. You throw in Andy Dalton, he's terrible. You throw in Nick Foles, he's terrible. And all of a sudden, you have this, this quarterback conundrum where you're trying to figure out, what do I do here? Uh, I, think, I think Nick Foles wants out, and Andy Dalton is going to be offended if he's not the starter. So, and, and the fan base wants Justin Fields. So it's going to be juicy to watch for the first at least three months. Well, sorry, three weeks. 
I don't care if Andy Dalton's offended. I'm offended I had to watch him play football last year. That's how bad he was for Out, the Cowboys. You know, outside of outside of Allen Robinson, like I have that offense is very shaky outside yep. of Allen Robinson. I yes. mean, Montgomery's been pretty good. He's been good in spots. But that offensive line is still nothing. And they really don't know who they have at tight end. Mooney's been pretty good. He's pretty solid. I'm not going to lie to you there. Like I said, I hate Chicago, but I'm trying to stay in the middle as much as I can. Um, yeah, outside, I mean, Allen Robinson, Mooney, a little upside. They really don't have much. I mean, they have uh, – they just brought in Speedster. Who am I thinking of? USA Marquise Goodwin. That guy. They yep. just brought him in, so they had a little bit more speed. I don't know. Um, they do have Cole Komet at tight end. He's it looks yeah. like he's got some potential, but until he does something with it, I'm not really worried about it. You know how many potential tight ends we have in the freaking NFL right now, dude? Evan Ingram was supposed to be the greatest tight end of all time coming out of college because he was so fast. Well, what is what is he doing now? He's dropping half I mean, of his footballs and getting voted into the pro. OJ Howard is OJ Howard was very similar, and now you know he I got am. beat out by old Gronkowski and Cameron Brait for playing time. Todd, I don't even want to hear it. Todd is one of my dad's good friends. He's a Bears fan. He's a great guy. Outside of being a Bears fan, Todd, it's going on this year, man. I'm I'm ready for it. It feels like the rivalry's back. I don't even care about the Vikings. The Vikings fans are just dodo brains to me now. The Bears fans have a little education. They still don't have a foot to stand on, but I'm ready for football, man. I'm so ready for football. Say, um, Josh has to live in Minnesota, so that's uh, that's really rough. I do. God, it, how do you keep your IQ up? I don't understand. You know, honestly, like the the vibe I always get my entire life from from Vikings fans, and it, I think Bears fans are actually more delusional. I know a lot of people say Vikings fans are more delusional. Really? Um, well, this is the way it goes with Vikings fans. All right, we're going to be really good this year. We have a really good defense. Captain Kirk is going to be good this year. And the Packers are on the decline. It's just like a it's a rinse and repeat cycle. It's it's constant. Um, and everybody's like, oh, Green Bay sucks, Lambeau sucks. Uh, fun fact, US Bank Stadium kills kills 20 birds a year on average uh, because it is made of glass. Um, there have been environmental groups that have sued US Bank Stadium uh, for for just killing birds, birds running into it. Uh, the Vikings <laughs> have had to make adjustments there. Um, that's just me poking fun at, at the uh, big old glass playhouse down there in Minneapolis. Um, but in all seriousness, you know, the Vikings do have a good defense this year and Vikings fans are always so hopeful, but they just know, they know, they secretly know that their team is going to find a way to mess it up. Um, I think the Vikings, they could be good this year. They could be fighting for a wild card spot for sure. Uh, but I really think the bears are going to be fighting for third place in the NFC North. I don't think that's a question. See, my favorite part about talking football is that Vikings and Bears fans don't understand that there's levels to this shit, man. There's literally <laughs> levels to this shit. And we're up here. We're doing our thing. We're fighting with the big dogs. The Vikings and Bears, they're down here. They're fighting with all the other mediocre teams who can pretend to contend. And they just never have enough to get over the top. Either the the Vikings have an offense that's just unstoppable and their defense is just butt. Or their defense can just stop everybody in their offenses, but they never put two and two together. They never do. That's what that's classic Minnesota. And the Bears, they just never get a quarterback. So until they get a quarterback, which Justin Fields is trying to break two curses in one, holy crap, I pray for that guy. I don't know if he's gonna be able to do it. And Todd, by the way, 
Jordan Love looked pretty damn good, man. I mean, we have an offense that runs the ball, ball control. If we can get, you know, a two-headed monster that can just run the ball and have Jordan Love throw 20 passes a game and he throws three touchdowns a game, we pretty damn good. That's all I'm saying. Like I said, levels to this shit, man. They just don't understand. All right. So before we uh, before we say goodbye to Josh and bring in Curtis, I do want to say we are getting a Wisco Fanatics Fantasy Football League up and going, and Josh is part of that. Uh, Tim, I see him in the comments saying that he's going to draft Tariq Cohen, and I fully invite you to do so. Uh, take him with your first round pick and uh, have fun with that. Um, but we are going to designate um, the January Parker Johns gift certificate to the first place winner of the first Wisco Fanatics Fantasy Football League. So we are excited for that. Um, so I want to thank everybody who's going to participate in that because that should be a lot of fun. And the last place in the Fantasy Football League will take a pie to the face. So that's going to add some interesting stakes to the Wisco Fanatics Fantasy Football League. Um, do you guys have anything else Packer related before we say goodbye to Josh and bring in Curtis? I really just want to talk shit to Bears fans the rest of the show. <laughs> well, one final thought here I will, I will say is I just hope the Tim Boyle laser show shows up in Detroit and Tim Boyle steals that starting spot from Jared Goff. I think that'd be a lot of fun. It'd be super hilarious uh, on many different levels. He changed his number to 12. He's grown out the hair. Uh, I love my, I love me some Tim Boyle. So that's definitely something to look for. <laughs> that's awesome. I hope that happens too. That'd be hilarious. It would be. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the one thing we can take away from dealing with Vikings and Bears fans is that the lions are still in the basement. Yes. <laughs> the lions are building an offensive line though. So that could be something that could be scary in a few years, but we'll get there in four years when they're rebuilding their team again. <laughs> All right, All right, Josh. Well, right. we. Uh, I should say thanks for having well, me. Uh, yeah, anytime. We'll be uh, definitely welcoming you back anytime we're talking about the Packers. So, uh, probably be talking soon, but we are going to say goodbye to Josh. Josh, take care. We'll see you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Later, buddy. See ya. All right. So, um, Jake, I just want to throw this out there because, you know, we talk about how cool it is seeing um, where we get, you know, interactions from. And just had a comment from Gabe Aldrich saying, greetings from Manila in the Philippines. So that is a new one for us. That is very cool. So thanks for checking out the show, Gabe. Hey, gang, gang. What's going on, brother man? What's up, boys? How are you guys? What's up, Curtis? So we are going to move into talking with Curtis about some combat sports, MMA, and boxing. Um, Just going to throw it out there. I think the the – biggest thing we have to talk about today is one of the paul brothers fighting uh that that's this weekend isn't it uh two sundays so not this sunday but next sunday the 29th yep yep two sundays away that will take place in cleveland ohio on showtime so yeah that'll be a good one man we've all been anticipating that fight so bear with me guys the voice is still um still a little rough from the weekend back in wisconsin so (laughs) Keel, Keel gets the best of me every year, but I love seeing you guys. Great seeing you. You guys are all wild there. So usually takes me about a week, but can't miss the show. I had to jump on and, and uh, talk some talk some MMA with you guys, and um, it's always great to see you. But, yeah, rough on the voice here, so it's going to be a little slow. 
Yeah, see you rocking the Packers shirt. Um, before we Go. start with the uh, start with the updates, why don't we give a why don't we get a Packers prediction from Curtis here? Packers prediction just for the year there. Yeah, just get a record prediction. Mm. Thinking either thirteen and four or fourteen and three. You know, I usually like to see us at about the thirteen win mark. It seems to be our best bet. Um, from me, you know, I'm not on your guys' level, but I'm a huge Packer fan. You know, I see us when we um, when we get that first round by, it sometimes is, is tough for us to take that time off. Um, when we just keep it rolling, that's when I think we're personally at our best. So um, I like not getting that first round by, to be honest. We did keep it rolling about a 13-14 win season. I think we'll be doing pretty damn good. So I'm excited, just like you guys, man. I deal with Vikings fans here more than – more than Bears fans, and God, dang, just cut me a break, man. My barber, I'm like, dude, just cut my hair. <laughs> just like Josh <laughs> was saying, you know, always talking about the defense and all this, but it's all good. It's all good and fun. So, yeah, that's where I see us, and um, I think we got a great shot this year, and um, I'm excited to see where it goes. So, hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. Go Pack Go. That's it, baby. That's it. Regardless how we do, it's always Go Pack Go. So, so. I was doing some research today, bud. Oh God! Oh shit! I don't know shit about UFC. There's so, a lot, man. There's a lot. There is a whole bunch of stuff they're throwing out there, and I'm like, I don't know what this means. Oh, I, I, no I could talk for hours, man. So <laughs> they were they were showing stance on the guys, right? For the the main guys on the card. What is a switch stance? Switch stance. Okay, yeah. So mostly you'll see like a traditional stance when your right hand's your power hand your right leg will be back, right? So you'll have your left leg forward, your right hand back. So it keeps that keeps that, um, keeps that, that power there, keeps it loaded up. So when you switch stance, you're going to put that left hand on the backside. So it's just called southpaw. Really, it's, it's a switch stance. It's called southpaw. So a lot of fighters, you'll see some of the smaller guys that will really switch that stance up regardless of what their power is because they like to move. You know, TJ Dillashaw will change his levels. And he's almost like he's walking at you. So he's going from traditional to southpaw, traditional southpaw. Um, that way he can he can step and throw a right hand, and then that left kick is now loaded up on the back end to come up over the top where you don't see it and smacks inside the head. So, yeah, switch stance is fun. I love the switch kick. Um, you know, I have that I'm, – I'm a power in my right hand, so I'm a traditional style, but I love to switch my feet and throw that kick because that really turns the hips and that power snaps through. So – yeah, Conor McGregor, he's a, he's a southpaw. He's got that, you know, he's got that power in that left hand. Um, but yeah, that's all that is, man. But a lot of guys anymore um, will just switch as they go. You know, as you circle out of the octagon, you know, they'll switch their stance right away and land a different, you know, left hand instead of their power hand as a right hand. So, yeah, switch stance, man. A lot of people, you know, it's just the sports evolving. You know, I mean, it, as, as all these new kickboxing styles come in and, and they keep evolving, a lot of people you have to start switching stances and be able to be able to perform from both sides. You know, if you want to be at the top of the level and what it takes that that work and the effort it takes, you got to be able to um, switch those stances and throw different shots from different angles. So that's why like Israel Adesanya is so good. He can throw the same punch with the same hand as he can kick with. So when he throws a right hand, that right foot comes up over the top. You do not even see it coming. It's super scary. So the more you can start switching stances, the, you know, most likely maybe the better off you will be, but you got to be careful regardless. But yeah, that's all that means, man. You're just switching your feet as it gives okay, you different reads, different switches. What What is an ortho stance? 
that's yeah, the orthodox. That's going to be your power hand. That's going to be the traditional boxing stance with your right hand back, left oh, foot man. forward. Yeah, they you know they got a couple different names for it, but yeah, that's your orthodox stance, yeah, and then your like, southpaw is going to switch. Like what the heck? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. No, what it's it's definitely confusing. It takes a long time to learn this stuff, and as the sport evolves, just like any sport, man, you got to keep up on it. Otherwise, you'll you'll fall that's, behind. But that's all that that's is. That's what we got you here for, Curtis. That's what I'm here for. That's it. <laughs> What else did you find, Jack? So I got a question here. I was thinking about it. I was like reading and I'm looking at all these guys' heights and their reaches and like it's given all the information, right? So in your opinion, what is the hardest weight class to fight at? What is the most stacked weight class? See, I thought that was a great question because I'm like, man, all these guys, like this guy has like 20 wins. This guy is like, he's this guy's like 16, 11, right? But what if this guy 16 and 11 is just up and coming and he took like some some hard fights, you know, when he first came in, and maybe that's why he took a couple L's, you know. So, I'm wondering. Hundred you know? percent. Yeah, I mean, styles make matchups. You can see guys that are you know 500 fighters that are 10 and 10 that just had bad matchups or they're at a wrong weight class. And um, the best example is Connor. You know, Connor started at 145 pounds and was starching people because he had that power. He went up to 155. He's only had one win at 155, and I think three or four losses. Went up to 170. He's one and one with Nate Diaz. Um, so, to to be honest with you, the most stacked division it really goes by promotion. You know, you really have UFC, Bellator, and one championship are going to be your top level um, um, promotions. But I would say right now, probably the most stacked is is 155. 155 pounds is because you get a lot of guys. Because you can go 135, 145, 155. So you get a lot of guys that can make that jump up to 55 and come back down to 45. Where if you go from 55, it's up to 70. If 15 pounds is a lot, it's a big difference. And then yeah. from 70, it's to 85, 85, it's to 205. So it's really, really hard. You've seen Israel Adesanya. He's the champion at 185, one of the greatest ever, honestly, in my opinion. Try to go up from 185 to 205. He just wasn't big enough, man. He The size just... You know, Jan Blachowicz just outsized them. You know, he's too strong, held them down. Um, but, yeah, right now I would say uh, it's 145 and 155, I would say. You're starting to see the heavyweights um, start to evolve. That that one's um, been kind of, um, kind of on the thinner side uh, in the past, but that one's starting to really get stacked up. But across Bellator, um, UFC and one championship. I see 155 and 145 is is where it's at because it goes all the way down to 125 pounds for guys, and it's really really hard to find a lot of those 125 pound guys. And when you switch into the women's division, you know you're going to see the stack divisions being mostly like 135 because it's hard to find a girl at 155. It's there is there are really dominant girls at 155, but there's just not many girls that are that big um, to yeah. to to make that competitive and keep that around. Um, is very, very hard. So like that division has been talked about being cut 125 for the men's talked about being cut now that they got the first Mexican born champion, uh, Brandon Moreno there. It's bringing a lot of excitement to that division. Um, so, um, but you know, if they cut that, those guys got to go up and wait and it's super, super tough. You know, 10 pounds makes a huge difference in the sport just because a guy's fighting at 170 pounds. You look at that guy and you're like, there's no way in hell that dude's 170 pounds. He's just, but he's not, you know, he gets down to there for about, 15 minutes and he water loads back up he eats you know some good carbs and then before he even fights he's back up to 190 195 pounds you guys know jamie's a great example he cuts all the way down to 155 um but he's usually around 170 before he even steps into that octagon and he's 
he doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. So, yeah, the hardest divisions are usually those ones that guys can go back and forth at, 145, 155, um, I think are the best divisions right now, most stacked. So they lie to yeah. us about their weight, huh? They lie, bro. It's all, and, and there's been talks about switching that up, man, because it's super unhealthy. You know, you're going from 195 down to 170. You'd rather, you know, there's talks of rather seeing weight classes closer to to your natural weight, right? So if you weigh 195 and you're cutting to 170, why don't we make a 190 division or every five pounds make a division? You'll have more title fights, more pay per views, more excitement around these guys because people love a title, man. People love a title. You um, know what that means. What does that mean? More money. More and money, that's man. Exactly what it's all about, baby. That's exactly all right, man. Dream, dog. That's all it is, man. It all that's all it is. And there's you know, there's a lot of talks right now. You know, we're gonna talk about Jake Paul and and there's some good and some bad out there that people think about him, but at the end of the day, he talks about fighter pay more than anybody, more than anybody in the world of MMA, as long as MMA has been around, more than anybody in the world of boxing's ever fought for it. He talks about it and fights for fighter pay more than anybody I have ever seen. If anybody can comment on here and name one, be my guest. There's no way possible. Jake Paul really, because I guess from your perspective, what do you think like an NFL team or an NBA team or an MLB team, if they're making, you know, X amount of profit each year, how much do you think a percentage of that profit is going back to the players? Do you guys know? Is it 50%? Are we looking at 40%? Are we talking 30%? It might be low. It's, it's probably could be small. could be low. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm it, it definitely right. varies by sport. Uh, yeah, NFL yeah. is definitely the highest because they have the most the you know the most TV deals because they have fewer games, so they're all they're all televised. Um, you know, nationally. Um, so the NFL is definitely the most prolific of them all. But even at that, you know, when you talk about like a, a stadium like Lambeau Field that holds eighty thousand people yep. per game. You know, that's honestly, it's, it's probably it's probably crazy. And I, I would say it's probably in that like 20 percent range, 20 yeah. percent range. Right. So, yeah, that's the problem. The UFC right now is at about an 18 to 20 percent rate. There's fighters, you know, I mean, it, it goes with every sport, but there's fighters that have been doing this their whole life and they finally get to the big show. And, um, you know, they're getting. 20 and 20, you know, $20,000 to show up, $20,000 to win. But after you pay for your full camp of eight, you know, eight to 12 weeks, maybe you pay your manager 10% fee, you pay your all three of your coaches, you got to bring your coaches out, you know, and then taxes because, you know, you're independent contractor, that 40,000 becomes a good 15,000 real quick. And then what happens if, you know, you have a, you're, you're promised three fights in a year, but what's happens is if you go through a whole fight camp of eight to 12 weeks, and boom, your opponent pulls out or you get a big gash on your eye and you have to get stitches and you got to wait six months. Now you put all that money into the camp, the nutrition, your managers, your coaches. You still got to pay those guys. So it's super, super tough. So um, it is all about the money. And even the guys that bring the most money, Conor McGregor type guys, Israel Adesanya, John Jones, they're still – it's all about putting asses in the seats, right? But even those guys aren't even paid fairly, honestly, for what they bring to the sport. So um, – yeah, it, it's interesting, man. That's why you the MMA game is so hard. You'll one of the greatest of all time is George Saint Pierre from Canada. He was um, probably when we were in middle school, um, getting into high school. He was at his prime. Um, he's always he's always says he had guys back in the day that would come up to him asking him for tips and pointers, and he said, 
honestly, what I want to tell him, I think he said it on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's like, I want to tell him, like, just put down the gloves, man. I, I've seen this story written a hundred million times. I've seen it. You know, people put in 10, 15 years and they make no money. And, and what's worse than you guys got kids looking your kid in the face saying, man, I can't get you this for Christmas or you can't have that. You know, nothing tears you apart more than that. So, um, yeah, it's it's a tough one, man. Fighter pays a big one. It's all about putting asses in the seats. But, you know, you're going to see an Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, probably making a, a good chunk of money over anybody else on the team. But that offensive tackle is still getting paid, you know, a shit ton of money to protect those assets and um, fill in and, and with the fighters, these guys got to fill the cards. You know, they got to They got to put on a show for somebody just for Connor to go out or Israel or John Jones or Brandon Moreno or any of those guys to make the big money. Um, you know, it, it's got to be fair. You got to spread it out. Um, so, yeah, it's all about the money, man. But, you know, it's some stuff that's not been seen. It's not been talked about. So I'll give Jake Jake Paul a lot of props on bringing that up. So. Um, even this, uh, this boxing event on Showtime, August 29th in Cleveland, he's going to, so show Showtime boxing is ran by, um, Espinoza. Um, that's the guy's name, Espinoza. And I guess he went to Espinoza and Jake Paul's like, Hey, what, what is everybody underneath me on this card being paid? And he's making sure they are being paid exactly what they deserve to be paid. Um, so it's great, man. Nobody's ever done that. Um, and to see him do that is, is, I think it's fucking awesome, man. So, um, everybody, I want everybody to get paid, man. I want you guys to blow up. You guys are great, man. So, um, yeah, it, it's good to see it, man. It is, it is awesome. Somebody that actually gives a shit because if you, nobody says anything, nobody gives a shit and you just go on your life, not making any money, man. So you got Jake with the questions today, Jake, you got any more questions yet? Well, I wanted, uh, I wanted, to. Curtis to really get into this Jake Paul fight. I want I want you to give your your real details on what do you, what do you think is going to happen. Who's going to win? Give my details. This is um, well I can tell you for the first time Jake is three and zero. Um, I think his first fight was against somebody I don't think anybody's heard of. It was some like English guy or something like that. Um, but you know the the real first one we seen was Nate Robinson. Okay, yep. he, he's a retired basketball player, winning dunk contests and stuff like that. Never boxed a day in his life. That doesn't show you a goddamn thing. You go to Ben Askren, you're kind of like, okay, we got a legend of the sport, a Hall of Famer here. Um, the guy that's been in the deep waters, we're like, okay, maybe this will show us something. Ben Askren showed up for a paycheck, right? It, it was He got starch right away. He was way overweight, not even in shape. So with this fight coming up in August 29th, I think this is going to show you exactly who Jake Paul is. Um, now his opponent you called out a dog, man. This is a dog. Tyron Woodley is a dog. One thing about Tyron is when he signs up for something, he goes all the way on it, man. He's not going to show up like Ben did for a paycheck. He does not get embarrassed. He hates to lose. Out of any person I've seriously seen in mixed martial arts, he hates to lose more than anybody. Like you can see it in his face, how much it tears him down. It tears him all down. But, um, this fight, I, I don't know what the odds are. I don't look at the odds a whole lot. I'm going to assume the odds are in Tyron Woodley's favor. Um, just because of his, he's a UFC Hall of Famer. He's a five-time world champion. Um, he's been boxing for 20 years. You know, Jake Paul's 24. Tyron's 39. There's a little bit of um, – that gives you a little bit of a chance there in that window. Um, I think if Jake Paul wins this, though, it's going to be – I think it's an eight-round fight. I think if Jake wins, it's going to be in those earlier rounds. Um, when he's fully energized, he's young, he's going to go hard at him. That's his best chance. I would say if you're going to bet anybody watching on this, you're going to bet on Jake Paul to win. You do three rounds and under. If you're going to bet on Tyron Woodley, you go 
fourth to the eighth round, somewhere in there. Because Tyron's a dog, man. He's been there. He's been in deep waters. He's not going to back away. So I think as it goes on, the experience is going to pay off more in Tyron's favor where he can pick him apart. Now, Jake Paul, been boxing four years. Um, Technique-wise, what I see from footage, he's not as technically as sound as Tyron Woodley. Um, he's a little bit looser with the hands. He leaves more gaps around here. He's dropping the hands a little bit more. Where Tyron's just straight up. Every shot he throws comes back to his face. His hands never leave his face. Um, but I would. Um, it's a tough one. But I, I'm going to go Tyron Woodley. But I think it's going to be a good fight. You know what? Jake Jake Paul's got a hit list. He calls it a hit list. He's got Canelo on it, the greatest boxer of all time. Why don't we pump the brakes real quick on calling out Canelo, calling out Nick and Nate Diaz, the Diaz brothers, calling out Conor McGregor. Um, honestly, I think he could probably beat Conor McGregor in a boxing match. I'm going to say that right now. I think he honestly could. He's way bigger. He's way younger. He's hungry. Um, and the thing about combat sports in general, you can't be one foot in and one foot out. You cannot do that. And you've seen that with Conor in the last couple of years. He's lost, you know, four fights, three fights in a row, whatever it's been. Um, because he's been one foot in, one foot out, man. He, he's got companies going on outside of this. He's making deals. I guess he's got a TV deal um, that's going. We'll see how that goes since he keeps losing. Um, so, yeah, I see Jake and Tyron both got their feet in on this. So you better buckle in. I think it's going to be a good fight. I think Tyron should win. Um, but if don't be surprised if Jake Paul you know, comes out and shocks the world. So so the, the comparison that you're making with um... – Conor McGregor about kind of, you know, doing stuff outside of, of UFC um, kind of makes me think about Ronda Rousey actually in a similar way. Um, you know, she started doing some, like she started doing a lot of acting and yep. she was in one of the Fast and the Furious movies. She was in a, a movie mile 22 with Mark Wahlberg and then she started losing some fights. So, I yep. mean, you know, you can kind of see similar things from Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey, um, it, you know, in that aspect. hundred percent. Get your bag. Get your bag, man. I mean, get your money. Um, Habib, you know, Khabib is maybe one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. And he's recently came out on like the Mike Tyson podcast saying, I don't think anybody at 155 pounds in this world can beat Khabib. I really do not think so. His confidence is next level. His Dagestanian wrestling is next level. But he even mentioned I don't want to do this no more because I don't want to sacrifice what it takes to stay at the highest level of this sport. And that's what you see with Connor. That's what you're seeing with some of these, the Ronda Rousey's they don't want to sacrifice because they don't have to anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's great because it's just like any NBA player, Delonte West and, and some of these guys where you see after their career, you know, they don't know what to do with themselves. So well, Charles um, Sprewell is similar. Yeah, there's tons of those guys. So you want to start building something outside of it. So when it's done, you either become a commentator, you become an analyst, you uh, open a business or you start podcasting or you start working for these um, for these big companies that do these shows. Um, But yeah, I I just with with Connor and Rhonda, it was you got stuff going on outside. You got one foot in the ring. You got one out. You can't do that to stay at the highest level. Dustin Poirier would beat Conor McGregor 100 times out of 100 times. Promise you that, 100%. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. The Jake Paul, man, dude, I, he's good. He's tall. He's I think he's bigger. I don't know weight-wise if he's much bigger. He's much taller. He's got a lot more length, so Tyron's going to have to get – like we talked about Logan and Floyd. You know, when I said Floyd had to lunge in to get inside of that length, 
to then land those shots. Otherwise, every time he sits on the outside, he's going to get popped by long shots. Shicker, you're how much taller than me, man? If I stayed on the outside, there's no way I can't kick you. I can't reach you. And you're just going to pop me in the face a million times until I go down, right? I would have to get on the inside of you and work your body, work up, work around. So that's an interesting thing as well that, you know, that with, with the Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley fight, you know, he's, he's a lot taller. Um, Tyron's got, I think a lot more skill. He's still got the speed. He's still got the power. There is a 15 age um, gap there, but I would say if you're going to take the bet, if you're going to bet Jake Paul, bet him in the earlier rounds. If you're going to go with Woodley, I'd go in the later rounds on that one. But I'm still going still going tiring, and it's not because I don't like Jake. I'm not that guy. I think he's done a lot of great things. And like he said, you know, the YouTube world was over for him, and he needed to find something else out of outside of YouTube and, and Disney and all that crap. And so he found boxing, and I think he's fully committed, man, and he's put a lot in this training. Like I said, technique-wise, not quite as good as Tyron, but – We'll see, man. I, I would not be surprised. And if he does start Tyron Woodley, look out. We're going to see some big fights. But I'm going to put my money on Tyron. And, uh, but I think it'll be a good fight. No doubt. Good fight. Because Tyron's lost his last three fights in the UFC. Contract ended. He was looking for something else. You know, so it's interesting to paint that narrative of, you know, what's going on in both of their lives and what led them to this and, and how hungry they really are. But I think they're both feet in and we're looking for a good fight, man. This is actually one I would pay for and I probably will pay for. So no doubt. I mean, spectrum here real quick. Uh, either Jake Paul gets punched in the face and we all enjoy that or he wins. And then we just get to watch him fight and talk a bunch of shit. So we win either way, America. <laughs> we win either way, man. That's, Jake Paul's like the Floyd. We've all said it on this show before. People pay to see a win. People just pay to see you get your ass whooped, man. And um, unfortunately, probably more people are going to pay to watch Jake get his ass whooped. And he, he, I, I guarantee he feeds off of that, man. I guarantee oh, he's going to feed off of that and say, watch, let me show you. You know, and he, I think he said that before, like, not like watch. No, let me show you. Like, let me show you. You think this and that. So, We'll see, guys. That's a tough one, man. But after this fight, we'll tell you everything you need to know about Jake Paul, and it will tell you what's going to happen next. I kind of want him to win because I want to see him go against an ATS, Nick Diaz, uh, a Canelo um, type fight. But with Jake, I think he's taking it more serious rather than Logan, like we've talked about before. He wants a longevity mm-hmm. in the sport. So we'll see. We'll see what goes on, man. We just got to tune in and then. This is all this is, is, is guesswork, but, you know, Tyron should have the upper hand technique, power, um, experience, but Jake's hungry. He's young. He's been doing it for four, four and a half years or something like that now. So it, it's a perfect, it's a perfect world, man. And it's happening. So I'm excited that it's at least somebody that I know and I have seen knock people out. So let's, let's see, baby. Let's go. <laughs> all right. So no pressure, Curtis, but, uh, Lily says hi. Oh, Hey Lily. She still got that hammer or what? <laughs> yes, got we do still have all the blow up hammers from this weekend. Got my ass whooped. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, what's up? What's up, Corny? Blash, blash, oh, Jesus. <laughs> that was good. That was fun. Hey, Jake, tell Aiden I said what's up and uh, give Winter some kisses, man. We miss that little girl, man. She was she's so cute. So. It was a good time to finally meet all, all of your guys' family. But yeah, man. Yeah, tell Courtney I said hi. Tell Cece I said hi. Hopefully, man. What'd you say? I said next time you see her, hopefully she'll be walking around with a little walking around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Run, oh, running this house, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> goddamn house. She's got you around her finger, bro. 
She got, got everybody right on her finger. finger. Ain't just me, but ain't just you, man. Hell no, it ain't just you. No, she's gorgeous, man. She's awesome. What else? Yeah, you guys want right, me to jump into some other stuff? Or I was what? gonna you say, good? you got anything else before we uh before we talk um, about the brewers? You got any other fights to watch out for before we talk to you again in September? Yeah, I'll cover a few things real quick. Upcoming uh, this weekend is J- Jared Cannonier versus uh, Kelvin Gastelum. Um, Cannonier used to fight at Jake. You like this one? He used to fight at light heavyweight, two hundred five, jump, jump down to one eighty five. I think Cannonier was on a losing streak until dropping down to one eighty five, and now he's strung like three or four fights together in a row. Um, his last loss was to Robert Whitaker. Kelvin Gastelum's last loss was to Robert Whitaker. Um, they. Kelvin Gaslam won the ultimate fighter. He's been fighting for the title multiple times. So they're both knockout artists. Um, and then the week after that, the same weekend as the Paul brother, uh, the Paul and Woodley fight, um, that Saturday is um, the Giga fight oh, versus Edson Barbosa. Um, Giga is a really hard last name. Chikaze, Chikaze, I think it is. Um, they are both um, multi-world champion kickboxers. Um, they're fighting at 145 pounds. I think Giga's, 38 and six, 22 knockouts, two world titles. Um, I think Edson was 28 and four, 22 knockouts, multiple world titles. Um, so both of these fights take place at the UFC apex in, uh, in Las Vegas, UFC apex was built basically for the ultimate fighter and Dana White's contender series. So guys like my boy, Jamie guys that you see in Milwaukee at Rufus board that want a chance at the UFC, Dana does bring them on the show and that's what they built it for. Um, to have a fight and see if they can they can win a contract. Thing about that uh, that arena, the cage is a lot smaller. So when you get those guys at 185 pounds that are knockout artists, it's like if you trap me in a room with you, Jake, at a, in, a, in a 10 by 10 room. That's not good for me. But if you put us in a football field, that's good for me, right? I have more room to use my footwork. So you're going to see two of the best kickers next weekend. Edson Barboza and Giga are the best kickers um, in in the world right now. So um, that's something great to watch out for. Um, and then heavyweight division, Serial Gone won the interim light heavyweight cha- or, uh, heavyweight championship over Derek Lewis. Some of the best footwork I've ever seen out of a big guy. He's about 245 pounds, um, and he moves uh, better than anybody I've ever seen, honestly. He's got the best footwork. So he used to train with Francis Ngano. That looks like it, that's the next matchup. Seen some footage. They both went back and forth. Don't ever take footage too seriously. You never know where anybody was in their camp. You know, who's going to have fight coming up was Francis in his fifth round, and they threw in a fresh serial gone um, just to keep him, you know, working out of pace in the fifth round. So that'll be a fight to look for. Um, Bellator, AJ McKee, 18-0, and 0, um, choked out uh, Patricio Pitbull. Pitbull's a legend of Bellator. This guy's young, AJ McKee. Um, he's young. He's hungry. Um, that guy's someone to look out for. They talk a lot about merging Bellator and UFC. UFC's roster is very, very deep. We got about 600 fighters. Bellator has about half of those many fighters. So I think if you take the top five guys in each division, you got a good, you you have great fights all day long. So don't don't think the UFC is just the best of the best. You just have the deeper roster. They got to put on more cards, more fights. Um, and then uh, my MVP of the weekend is uh, Milwaukee's own. I've watched this guy fight multiple times. Rafion Stotts um, beat the number one contender. Um, he beat this guy. His name is N- Magomed Magomedov. Um, he's Dagestanian, like just like uh, Habib. He comes from the same background. Rafian Stotts, um, all-American wrestler, um, put on a fucking clinic, dude. He really, I think, was the big underdog on this. 
he went out, put on a clinic, a five round clinic. Um, the next fight for him would be his training partner and great friend, Sergio Pettis, little brother of Anthony Pettis, both from Milwaukee, Duke Rufus's gym, Rufus Sport. He kind of didn't call him out, which I get, but this is the hurt business, man. You're going to have to fight your buddy, but um, that's something to look forward to as well. Bellator's got great guys. Milwaukee's got a lot of great guys. Ralph Yonsat's my MVP. Watch that guy alive a few times. He's a stud. So appreciate it, boys. Curry, All right. As always, man, you fucking killed that, dude. I got to roll. I got people like awesome. you talk so fast. I'm like, shit, there's a lot to cover, man. Dude, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. All right, so hopefully, hopefully, sometime soon we'll uh, we'll inspire you to start your own podcast, and we'll still bring you in to give some updates for us. Absolutely, guys, this is a great start for me. I love just helping you guys out. You know how much I love you guys, and seeing you guys just just do your thing, man. You guys are great at it. So I've learned a lot from you guys. I appreciate it. Josh did a great job. If you're still watching, man, killer job. Go pack. Yes, sir. All right, we will uh, we'll talk to you soon, Curtis. All right, guys. Peace All out, right, man. take care, bud. All right, later. All right, so last thing to discuss, and it's still going to be a, a good discussion to get into this. Um, talk about the Brewers, and I'm going to go first on this just because I was very excited to watch this. Um, the third game of the four against the Cubs, uh, just basically the the Corbin Burns show, and this is going to be my, my earmuff moment of the week, I suppose, if I'm going to have one, is... Corbin Burns, during his uh, major league record tying 10 consecutive strikeouts, had a career-high 15 strikeouts and set a franchise record with 15 strikeouts and zero walks, breaking Giovanni Gallardo's record of 14. Uh, at one point, he was uh, getting starting to get close to Ben Sheets's franchise record of 18 strikeouts in a game. Talking about this with Cubs fans and baseball fans, don't give me that shit about it's all AAA hitters. Don't give me that. Don't don't give me that shit. If you're gonna sit there and say that and bring up that oh it's just AAA hitters, no, they're in Major League Baseball. I get that the Cubs had a fire sale. I still don't want to hear that shit. If you're gonna tell me that all those guys in AAA are just waiting for their chance, they're just waiting to get their chance in Major League Baseball. Don't tell me that he's doing it against bad hitters. Patrick Wisdom's a is a good hitter. He really is. As far as you know, don't wanting to give props to Chicago players, but Patrick Wisdom's a good hitter. They have Ian Happ. They still have good players on that team. So don't give me that. Oh, he's just playing against Triple A guys. It's not that impressive. Don't give me that. The fuck out of here with that. <laughs> that being said, in this same game where Corbin Burns just absolutely dominated Chicago, um, the Brewers also basically ended Jake Arietta's career in Chicago. Uh, he was released the next day and now has been picked up by the Padres, which I think is absolutely hilarious because Arietta's not good. But um, I'm going to get your feelings on this 10 to nothing win that the Brewers had over the Cubs. Well, first of all, since you just said the Padres, I wanted to say something I was thinking. Padres are kind of fake contenders, in my opinion. They're like good, but they're not good. Um, <clears throat> with that being said, 10-0, man. Wow. 10-0 in baseball, that's that's tough, dude. Um, Brewers had 16 hits in this game. Cubs had four. Uh, there was six Brewers with at least two hits in this game. Wong, Adamas, Escobar, Alvarez, or Navarez, sorry, who was Navarez. 
and Taylor and Peterson. They all had at least two hits. That is you want incredible. To get- Real quick, before you keep talking, I want to give Tyrone Taylor some credit because he jumped in for Avi Garcia when he got hit by a pitch. Um, he jumped in and got a hit in his first pinch hitting appearance for Avi Garcia in the bat that he got hit. And then he made a really nice catch in the bottom of the fifth inning. But yeah. you can continue now. Dude, I this Brewers team has depth, man. I mean, you just mentioned Tyrone Taylor. Peterson can come off and he can play multiple positions. Jason base. Dominance. I mean, th- the Brewers just have everything this year, man. And it's crazy. You know, I'm thinking about the Giants, and I keep watching the record, you know, after they win, after they win. The freaking San Francisco Giants are just running away with everything right now. I just don't understand how they just win and win and win and win. Nobody expected them to do anything. Um, but, no, 10-0. to You mentioned Burns' historic performance. I mean, eight innings. No one runs 15 Ks, 10 straight strikeouts. I mean, that was amazing to watch, honestly. Corbin Burns absolutely dominated the Cubs and baseball for that. He struck out batters with four different pitches. That's just that's just the thing about him, though. He has he can strike people out with four pitches. That's just not fair. It's not fair. Yeah, imagine, you know, you're, you're looking at Corbin Burns and you you hear about his fastball, his slider, and then all of a sudden he's throwing a changeup at you and it's like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, it's crazy. All right, so then to wrap up that series, they win 17-4. to Kind of a weird uh, pitching outing for Brandon Woodruff. He basically became like an opener in this game because his pitch count kind of got away from him. Um, with the three walks, only the three strikeouts, but 74 pitches across three innings. Um, but the big lead was able to um, allow them to not really have to push him in this game and um, get a lot of bullpen guys in the in the mix, including Justin Topa, who is back from the 60-day injured list and back from his rehab stint in Nashville. So that's just another arm added to this bullpen um, to add to the depth there. And I think we'll probably see less of of Norris and now Curtis, who has the um, the UCL injury. So seventeen to four in the fourth game of that series, Jake. What did you see from that game? So first of all, I like how you say seventeen to four, so nonchalantly. That does not happen a lot in baseball. <laughs> seventeen to four. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Uh, in this game, the hits count because I like to count the hits. Uh, because earlier in the year, the Brewers were not very good at that department. They had 22 to 8. So for the final two games of the series, it was 38 to 12. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, on top of that, I wrote down the run score for each inning. They scored five in the second, four in the fifth, four in the sixth, three in the seventh, and then one in the ninth. So back to back to back innings, they scored four, four, and three. That's insanity. Again, for enough for the second straight day, six Brewers with at least two hits. Yelich, Escobar, Urias, who had five runs and five RBIs, five extra base hits. That's incredible. That's a franchise yeah. record. Yep. He had five RBIs. He wasn't even the leading guy in the RBIs for the team that, that day. Pena had six RBIs. Peterson yep. was five for five. And JBJ was two for five. The Brewers put on an absolute show offensively that day. It didn't matter who was going to pitch. I mean, I'm honestly surprised that Suter didn't get a win in that game because he didn't get a win like at least twice a week. But I mean, the Brewers, the last two games of that Cubs series were 
fantastic. They look like the best team in baseball the last two days. Yeah. And so I put this on the page that Luis Urias, five RBI, five runs scored. It was the first in franchise history to do that. Uh, he also tied a major league baseball record with five extra base hits. And the first thing that people comment is he had two errors. Like, like really? Like he's Welcome. just such a he's he's become such a polarizing player that even when they have like historical franchise, you know, all time games, that people still find a way to talk shit. Is he the new Chris Middleton? He might be the new Chris Middleton. <laughs> he might be. If people don't stop complaining about fucking Christian Yelich every other day, too, he might, you know, Luis Urias is next up to be the next Chris Middleton. So that being people, said, people just love complaining, man. Do they do? And the thing is with that is Eduardo Escobar is playing first base. He's not a grizzled first baseman. He's not, you know, a long tenured. He's not a veteran first baseman. So, you know, some of those throws that got away from him, other first basemen are going to make that play. Yeah. Um, you know, the the error that cost the Brewers the one run. So Luis Urias, responsible for 10 runs, gives one back, still plus nine on the runs. So I don't even want to hear that. It was still an accurate throw. It was just a low throw. So, you know, it happens. Not that big of a deal. Like I said, most first basemen that are used to playing first base, which Eduardo Escobar is not, are going to pick that. So I'll give Luis Urias a pass on that because he also scored five runs and and drove five in and hit two monster home runs. Right. Um, that game, that was Manny Pena's first career Grand Slam. Pineapple power, baby. <laughs> um, so that, and then... I just Hunter love Strickland. looking on Instagram and they go, power the pineapple. And I'm like, that means that something good happens, so I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> yep, that's Manny Pena. Um, Hunter Strickland, Justin Topa, Josh Hader, Miguel Sanchez, all one scoreless inning. Um, Norris gave up a couple uh, home runs. Um, other than that, I mean, the Brewers absolutely dominated this series, um, especially offensively, and then with, you know, with the pitching, too. Um, good to see the bullpen guys getting back. Hunter Strickland, um, Josh Hader, uh, back from the, the COVID list. Eric Lauer comes back in this uh, Pittsburgh series. Um, it's good to see those guys back. And then Justin Topa being back from that 60-day injured list. When we traded for Willie Adamas and we're talking about um, losing J.P. Fireisen and Drew Rasmussen, Justin Topa was one of those guys that I brought up that's going to be back in this rotation. And one guy that I really want to give a huge shout-out to as we move into this Pirates series is Jake Cousins. Just came out of nowhere, and he's pitching like a stud. He hasn't given up any earned runs since he's returned, and he's pitching lights out. Like He got into some trouble um, in the game yesterday, but came back and got a strikeout through a 96-mile-an-hour fastball right on the inside corner. So I want to give Jake Cousins some credit because he's pitching really well and he's, you know, proven to be an asset in that bullpen. So the Brewers bullpen, while it was kind of shaky while they were all out with COVID, uh, it looks pretty good. And when we get into this Cardinals series, I'm going to bring it up again. So um, let's start with game one. The Brewers lost 14 to four after another rain out. Hashtag get a roof. Um, yeah. It's annoying, but, you know, it turns into a doubleheader again. So let's talk about game one, the 
suckier game of the three, but um, got to yeah. talk about it. So let's talk about game one. Game one, Pirates just they hit the ball, man. You know, name of the game. Uh, it was 19 hits to seven hits. So the Brewers, I mean, seven hits isn't a lot, but you know, it's still enough to give you kind of an opportunity. But <clears throat> giving up 19 hits, that's that's tough to deal with, man. So losing 14 to four, like you said, first of the double header. Um, they gave up a run in the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth. That's what the Brewers yep. gave up. Four, yep. two, six, and two. So, you know, like yep. I, I was talking about the Brewers against the Cubs. You know, when you're giving up runs back to back to back to back innings, like it it's it's tough to come back from that. But if you're the Brewers, you know mentally that you have another game later that day. So whatever, you cut your losses and you move on with your life. Yep. Yeah, Jace Peterson pitched an inning in this game. Yeah. Um, the Brewers did jump out to a three nothing lead. Colton Wong is he's a badass leadoff hitter. He really is. The dude gets on base a shit ton. <clears throat> so that being said, let's just speed past that game. Let's go to the second game of that doubleheader. Uh the Brewers won six to zero. Um Aaron Ashby. He looks real good. Real good. Uh, I'm very, very excited to hope to see um, what ha- we'll see what happens with the rotation next year. But I'm really hoping that Aaron Ashby can crack the rotation next year because he's got some nasty stuff. Dude, Brewers got pitching, man. They got they pitching. do. So I'm very excited for Aaron Ashby. Uh, four innings, four strikeouts, only three hits. Um, Lorenzo Kane dropped in a lucky hit down the left field line, got some of the uh some of the Pirates defenders tangled up with each other and dropped a hit in. Um mm-hmm. Willie Adamas, Avi Garcia, Omar Narvaez, Jace Peterson, all with two hits. Um I don't know if you knew this or not, but Avi Garcia has now surpassed his career high for home runs in a season with twenty one. That's good for us. That is very good for us. You were just talking about the depth with a guy like Tyrone Taylor and uh you know getting some power out of Avi Garcia is is definitely uh, definitely good for us. So do you have anything else from that second game of that doubleheader? Yeah, I just wrote down uh, you know, Ashby, like you talked about. He only had fifty eight pitches through those four innings. So I mean that's efficient right there. I mean, Boxberger, Williams, and Strickland, they all all pitched an inning. And Williams gave up one hit, you know, because they only had four hits total. Pittsburgh did in that second game. And Boxberger, Strickland, they gave up zero hits. Obviously, none of them had an earned run because we won six to zero. So I was just going to say that, you know, the bullpen is back to being a strength of this team. And I, I really like that. So two more things that I have from this game. First one, Rowdy Telez. Just an absolute monster shot. He destroyed that ball and hit it into the river. Um, Yeah, I I think I saw that he was the 45th player to ever hit a home run ball into the Allegheny River. So, um, Rowdy Telez, just an an absolute monster shot. And then, um, so if we didn't already have some Pirates nemesis in guys like Colin Moran, but also Brian Reynolds, the dude just steals hits from the Brewers all the time. Um, Luis Urias finally stole a hit away from him, had a diving play in between third base and shortstop and popped up and threw him out. And then the next inning, 
Brian Reynolds gets a ball that comes into center field and he throws Willie Adamas out at the plate. <laughs> so Brian Reynolds, Brewers nemesis, him and Colin oh. Moran both should just go away and go play in the AL somewhere. I mean, I mean, he takes a lot of L's playing against us, so whatever. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the last game of that series. Um, I mentioned Eric Lauer being back from the injured list. Um, yep. Came in, he pitched pretty well. He actually threw six strikeouts, which was surprising to me because I talk about him usually being a, a soft contact guy and getting a lot of ground outs. But uh, four innings, three hits, one run, six strikeouts. And some of the breaking balls that he was throwing just 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 come in and then they just dive. And it's it's crazy and it, it's fools hitters and it's tough to hit, tough to even see. Um so that's six strikeouts for Eric Lauer definitely jumped out to me. What else did you see from that third game of that series? Well, the first thing I saw was that Brett Suter got another win. Congratulations <laughs> to him. I'm gonna mention it every time, but uh Hader got the save. Adama scored both of our runs. Brewers won two to one. Uh, another low scoring affair. Um, Lauer, you already mentioned him. Suter pitched one inning, no hits, no runs. Cousins, one inning, one hit, no runs. Boxberger, Williams, Hater, no hits, no runs. Like I said, the bullpen is back to being a strength, and I really, really like it. You know, obviously, we have our big three, and then we fill in with the other guys. So, I mean, with the pitching man, I just. It just gives us a chance, and I'm just loving it, man. It's it's the year of Milwaukee, buddy. It's the year of Milwaukee. Uh, I'm hoping it's the year of Wisconsin, and we can get a triple crown. Would be sweet, dude. If we get a triple crown, I might cry. <laughs> I literally might cry, dude. Uh, before we move on to the first game of the St. Louis series, I just want to throw out um, Colton Wong had some crazy stops in this game that don't show up in the stat sheet or in you know putouts. Um, first one he made was in between first base and second base, uh, made a diving play in the grass, popped up and made a throw actually didn't even pop up. He made the throw kind of half falling down. Um, and then a challenge was made that overturned it and was ruled a hit. And then he had a one that was right up the middle, like right over second base. And he stopped it before it got into center field. Um, that might've been extra bases. Um, but Colton Wong got in front of both of those balls, just showing off that he's, is the former gold glove second baseman that he is. Dude, Colton Wong was an amazing pickup for the Brewers. He really was. He's been awesome. He hits. He plays defense. He does his job, man. And the most important thing, he's used to winning, and he brings a winning culture mentality, which is something that the, all teams need, not just the Brewers. And he's doing well as a leadoff hitter for us. So. Yes. Yeah, he had a um, the other day when they lost 14-4. to four. Yeah, he did. Um, so one last thing that stood out to me and it kind of sucked, but they, it seemed like the Brewers used up all their runs in the Chicago series. Um, they outscored <laughs> Chicago in that four game series by 26 runs. And then, um, in this three game series were outscored 15 to 14 by Pittsburgh. I mean, 14 in the first game, but right. outside of that, right. That's that's why you know, this is that's a prime example of why I say that run differential can be a misleading stat. Because yeah. while it does usually correlate to winning, like we talked about when we talked earlier in the season about winning three out of four from the Dodgers and losing the fourth game fifteen to two, or losing a game fifteen to fifteen to four 
but still winning the series. That's why I say that run differential is a misleading stat because I would rather have the wins than the run differential personally. Yeah, so go ahead. take your 15 to four. I'll take two to one and six to zero. I'm good. I am good over here. All right. So let's talk about the first game of the St. Louis series. we got another Corbin Burns gem. Um, didn't go as deep as he did against the Cubs, but six innings, two hits, two walks, three strikeouts was kind of weird. That's uh seems like he used up all of his strikeouts against the Cubs too. But yeah. um, before I let you talk, I want to say that going from Burns to Boxberger for an inning to Devin Williams to an inning to Josh Hader for an inning, that right there is your playoff strategy to win. That's tough, bro. That's tough to deal with. That right there is how you win playoff games. You have one of your big three go for six innings, and then you bring in seven, eight, nine, Boxberger, Williams, Hader. You shut the door. That is how the Brewers will win playoff games. That is how they win two to zero against a team that is still fighting for a wild card spot, but it's looking pretty dim for the Cardinals. So I will let you talk now. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, it's pretty weird that the Cardinals are in the position they are because they're. They win a lot of games, man. They they kind of like I'll compare them to the Steelers in, in football, where you're kind of used to the Steelers always like being in the conversation for playoffs, always winning their division, you know. They're always in the conversation. So we already talked about cousins, my man Joe. Joe said, uh, don't forget about cousins. Yeah, we, we know we Tyler did a little mention on him. Um, but Corbin Burns, man, just another great outing. You know, honestly, we're just we're just used to it at this point. He had a no hitter going into the sixth in this game. Uh, Brewers had 14 hits. Uh, you mentioned the score, the runs they didn't score a lot, but you know they're hitting the ball, they're getting on base, so that's something that I like. And I wanted to mention Colton Wong, three for four against his former team. So I always like seeing that. I'm a little bit of a revenge person, if I'm being honest with you. Like when I play sports video games, I love playing on the rogues. I love playing the villain. So Colton Wong doing good against the Cardinals is something that I love to see personally. I had I had the Cardinals finishing second in the division. I I paged back to look at my notes when we did our record predictions. Yeah. Um, I had the Brewers winning ninety games. I had the Cardinals winning eighty eight games. Yeah, and we and then we had the Reds third. Cubs. I fourth. had the Reds fourth actually. I had the Cubs third. Oh really? Um, I, I had the I had the Reds third, Cubs fourth, and then I had the Pirates because we all like I said at the beginning of the year we all knew the Pirates were going to be booty. Yep. They were going to be yeah. I mean, the Cubs, they had good players. They just sucked. Yeah. And then, you know, when the Brewers swept them that series, um, when they started that third game up 7-0 to zero in the first inning and the Brewers came back and won 15-7, then the Cubs went and lost 11 games in a row. I mean, I really yeah. I really believe the Brewers ended the Cubs' season with that series. Oh, I, I, I 100% agree with you, man. After, after that game, they were like, all right, this, uh, this isn't working. This obviously isn't the right formula. You know, they were still kind of riding the highs of 2016, man. Let's be honest. They, yeah. were, they were kind of with some of those players. And it's like, all right, it's time to move on. Let's get some prospects and let's suck for a while. And then we can have two guys up in Wisconsin pick on us for a couple of years, which they're okay <laughs> with. We will do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for free too. <laughs> <laughs> so when I talked to you earlier, I wanted to mention about, you know, the fight for the, the first seed. One more thing. One more thing before we move on. Okay. And it's because being in Brewers groups, I see so much complaining. I just mentioned Luis Urias and Christian Yelich being the other guy that people complain about. Um, Christian Yelich 
currently on a six game hitting streak. So just want to throw that out there. Um, he had two hits last night, so extended his hitting streak to six games. So keep an eye on that tonight when the Brewers play. All right. Now I'll go ahead and give your NL playoff update. Okay. So NL update race for number one seed. Like I mentioned before, not the New York football giants. This is the San Francisco baseball giants. Uh, they are 78 and 42. Just crazy. I can't believe they have the best record in baseball. But, you know, when we talked, you know, when we played them a couple weeks ago, um, they they just are just a team. They're the oldest team in baseball, and they're just a team full of a bunch of veterans that are just really good at baseball. They know how to hit. They know how to pitch. Like, they're just – they're put together well. The Dodgers have the second-best record. They're 74 and 46. We all knew the Dodgers were going to be good. It is what it is. I don't want to talk about the Dodgers. I freaking hate them. The Brewers are tied with the third best record with the Rays. I only put that in there just to mention how good the Rays are, you know, because they went to the World Series last year. So they'll probably be in. Dude, I respect the Rays. They have a they have a very similar makeup to the yes. Brewers. So I respect the Rays. Me I don't respect well. the Dodgers. No, me as well. Uh, at seventy three and forty seven. So I wanted to mention this because I wanted to do the home and road splits. At home, for all the teams, it goes Giants, Dodgers, Brewers. That is the order I have them in because that's, you know, their standings. The Giants are 42-18 and 18 at home. They absolutely kill at home. They have the most wins at home of all baseball. The Dodgers are 38-20. and 20, And the Brewers are 32-27. and 27. Like, barely above 500, which is That's crazy. weird. They lose, they lose to Cincinnati at home all the time. I don't My know what God. the deal is there. It's crazy, man. 32-27, and 27, I'm thinking – you give me five more wins and five less losses, the Brewers have the number one number one record in baseball. That's true. You yep. Just protect home field a little bit better. And then on the road, the Giants and Dodgers are still good road teams. Right. Giants, 36 and 24. Dodgers, 36 and 26. Those are very good records. Those are winning teams. Yep. You know, you're you're 10 games over, 12 games over, 500 on the road. But the Brewers have the best record, road record of all team in baseball at 41 and 20. So, like you mentioned, which I think is 100% spot on, that pitching travels better than hitting. 100% spot on, by the way. You couple the road record with, like I said, you give me five more wins, play a little bit better at home, win a couple more games at home, give yourself a recipe for a very, very dangerous team. So, really, when I was looking at this, the Giants' number one home record, the Brewers' number one road record, if we can get a San Francisco versus Milwaukee, you know, championship series, that'll be something that'll be absolutely crazy to watch, man. Uh, right now, actually, the Giants have three three wins in a row, Dodgers have five wins in a row, and Brewers have three wins in a row. So, that'll be something that'll be crazy to watch. We'll have to – Pay attention. The Brewers still have a four-game series against the Giants to end this season. Yep. So they could still make some noise. The Giants and Dodgers still have a, ser- a three-game series that they play. So it'll be crazy, man. The Padres play the Giants a lot, and I just called them pretend contenders. So we will really find out a lot about the Giants towards the end of the year this year. So to my point and to your point of reinforcing my point about pitching traveling well, the Brewers currently are on a 10-game road trip. They've played eight of the games so far, and they're 7-1. and one. Yeah. So we've talked about Burns twice now in this stretch. Uh, yeah. Freddie Peralta's pitching tonight. Aaron Ashby pitched well uh, against the Cubs and against the Pirates, both in those rain delay games. Um, <clears throat> Eric Lauer coming back from the injured list. 
pitching pretty decently. Um, Woodruff, just his pitch count getting a little out of control, but, um, you know, that's, I'm going to double down on it. That pitching travels well. So we're going to keep an eye on Freddie Peralta tonight. And yeah. after that, the Brewers play the nationals. Um, actually we're all going to the game on Saturday. Um, me, Courtney and the girls are going on Saturday. So, nice. um, so then after that, then they got Cincinnati at home again. So just mentioned it. They got to beat Cincinnati in Miller Park, American Family Field. Sorry. Yeah, um, some people still call it Miller Park, so you're just pretending. It'll, always, you know what, it'll, be, it'll always be Miller Park to some people. Um, yeah. And for me, it's, you know, it's, it's the first year of American Family Field. So. Um, so two more games against St. Louis, three games at home against Washington, three games at home against Cincinnati, and then they're back to Minnesota. So um, tonight, just watching for Freddie Peralta. So um, you got anything else before we uh, say goodbye for the week? Um, oh, I wanted to mention one thing. I wanted to congratulate the last Antetokounmpo for becoming a champion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Antetokounmpo, he was on the Kings who won the Summer League. So he's a Summer League champion. So all the Antetokounmpo's, they all own titles of one way or another, whether they played or not. So just wanted to congratulate him. And I love the rivalry that the internet makes with the Antetokounmpo's and the Ball Brothers. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's funny to me. It's because Giannis is so great that his brothers get an opportunity. But it's also, and for the Ball Brothers, it's because their dad is so annoying, which is why nobody gives them a break. He's calmed down the last couple of years, but man, that guy was a problem when he first existed. Holy when Lonzo, when Lonzo was getting drafted, yes. Oh my God, Lavar Ball was so annoying. He went on Colin Coward's show, and I don't remember the woman that was on there, but she tried to ask him a question, and he said, "Stay in your lane," and that was kind of the point where I was like. Yeah, this guy really doesn't give a fuck about anybody, does he? <laughs> it was super annoying, too, when he was talking about that Leangelo was going to be like a top five pick, too, and then they were going to get all three of the ball brothers on the Lakers, and he's like, yeah. how are they going to do that? And he's like, the big baller way. Yeah. Like, that was – that's not remember an answer. When, remember when Lonzo was wearing the big baller brand shoes? Those bitches were weak as hell, man. Dude, that was – and it was like a $2,000 shoe. It was – <laughs> I don't I don't hold LeVar Ball in very high esteem. No, no, me either. Um but anyways, just wanted to congratulate the last set of the Kumbo. Hopefully he gets drafted, not in the East. I hope he succeeds. Other than that, it's uh it's go pack go. I am so excited for Saturday. Watch watch the Packers play the Jets, which apparently they absolutely destroyed them in practice today. So that's what I mean, I've heard. The Jets aren't aren't crazy or anything like that, but hearing the Packers destroying people is always something that I love to hear, no matter who it is. So, you know, Zach Wilson got a he got a lesson today, man. He was getting sacked a lot. I heard they sacked him like seven times or something like that. Yeah. So we gave the players to watch on offense and defense. We had yep. Josh back in to give us some as well. Um, next week we're gonna do some Badger football, some college football primer. And uh, we're going to give some some players and some positions to watch. And um, we'll probably give a, a record prediction for the Badgers who are coming in in the 12 to 15 range in preseason rankings, depending on if you're looking at coaches or AP uh, polls. But uh, the Badgers are looking somewhere in that 12 to 15 range. And um, we're going to get year two of Graham Mertz. 
I personally am looking forward to seeing how the running backs turn out. But um, next Wednesday, we're going to do a college football, uh, Badgers football primer. So that'll be something to look over next week. Wait. 12 to 15 is perfect range, buddy. Yeah, I'm good with that. Perfect range. Yep. That means we have expectations, but they're not through the roof. Love it. Yep. That's exactly where I want to be every year. Well, I mean, right. I want to be the team at the end of the year holding the trophy, but right to start out, I'm okay with 12 to 15. <laughs> All, All right, man. Boy. Well, I will talk to you next week. Go Brewers. Go Packers. Yes, sir. Talk to you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.